Going Linux, episode 251, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, listener feedback. If you want to send us feedback, you can email us at goinglinux at gmail.com, or you can leave a voicemail on our voicemail line at 1-904-468-7889. Well, we don't have Bill in the studio today. Uh, he is taking the day off, so it's just me, but we have a few emails for you that we can uh, share. So, let's just jump right into them. Richard has upgrading issues. Richard writes, Hi guys, I recently upgraded from Linux Mint 15 to 17 and have had a challenge in easily transferring installed packages and applications. Apton CD has failed me, although it's been working in the past. The Linux Mint software backup used to work, but has been broken for a while now in my version. And finally, I tried your recommendation of DPKG, but now, after installing Linux Mint 17, I get this error. DPKG error. Operation requires read-write access to DPKG status area. I'm not finding reliable advice for getting any of the three options running. I now have Linux Mint 17 installed and may just do it manually at this point, which kind of sucks. Thanks, Richard. Well, Richard, uh, the fact that DBKG doesn't work and Linux Mint software backup doesn't work, uh, and I'm not sure that the Apton CD thing is the same cause, but I'm suspecting that perhaps something is not installed correctly with Linux Mint 17. At the very least, some of the file permissions or folder permissions you have need to have user read-write access are not working. So you can actually go in and change those if you can figure out which folders they are or which files they are. You can do that graphically by opening the file manager with pseudo permissions from a command line uh, and then right-click on the file and, and change the permissions so that you have permissions to read-write. If you can figure out which file or folder it is that you need to change, similarly you can do that from the command line with the sudo command. But uh, depending on how long you've had Linux Mint installed and how much of a pain it is to reinstall, uh, you might try reinstalling. And the other thing is that it may have installed incorrectly because maybe you've got a corrupted ISO file when you downloaded it. So you, if, if the next install doesn't work or if you just want to eliminate that as a possibility, uh, double check that the MD5 sum on your ISO file matches the one that's on the uh, download page for the particular version of Mint that you downloaded. Uh, and make sure that they're the same. If they are the same, then 
you've almost certainly got a fine copy and just reinstalling might work uh, to fix your problems. And if you um, find that the MD5 sum does not match, then definitely you have something different between what you downloaded and what was originally provided in the file. So you should, uh, for sure, if the MD5 sums don't match, download another copy and reinstall from that. So those are the first things to check, I think. And if uh, that doesn't work, come back to us and let us know if you haven't already got it figured out. And you might just have. And if so, let us know what fixed it. Thanks, Richard. Rajesh asks for software for making mirror backups. Hi, Larry and Bill. I've been a listener of your podcast for the past few months, and the podcast has inspired me to install Linux Mint 17 on a new Intel NUC that I have recently bought. I've been quite happy with it until I ran into some issues with the desktop environment. I tried to change the desktop manager from Cinnamon to GNOME 3, and now all I see is a black screen every time the machine boots and does an automatic login. I'm searching through forums to fix this issue, and I'm sure this would be a great learning experience. Once I fix the issue, I plan to take a backup of the entire system, and I do not want to do a complete install of Linux and all the packages I'd installed since the last install. My request to you is if you can have a podcast on performing a complete backup of the system. By complete, I mean create a mirror image of the entire hard disk on a USB drive, and in case of recovery, I can use the USB drive as a live boot and do an install similar to the way Linux Mint Live USB has done in the past. Is this type of backup even possible? Given my limited knowledge of Linux, I am not really sure. Hope to hear from you soon. I'd also like to thank you for the podcast that has helped people like me move to Linux. Thanks, Rajesh. Well, you're very welcome, Rajesh. That's exactly our goal here at the Going Linux Podcast, is helping people move to Linux. Now, as far as the backup is concerned, a full system mirror image backup is what you're looking for. So, uh, for quite some time, we've been recommending Clonezilla to make mirror images of Windows and Linux machines. And in fact, we have an article on how to do it. We'll include a link to the article in the show notes, of course. The article is a little bit dated, but it does give you the basics, and the application has improved quite a bit since we originally wrote this article. Uh, but it works basically the same way as it did back then. And in addition, we had discussed Clonezilla and making these kinds of backups in a couple of episodes, uh, but we haven't done a full episode on Clonezilla itself. The episodes where we did discuss backups were back in episode 29 and episode 31, so they were in the early days of the uh, Going Linux podcast. So um, just go ahead and read through that article and take a listen back to episodes 29 and 31. They probably will be, as I said, a little bit dated, but certainly Clonezilla is still alive and kicking and doing very well. And it will do exactly what you're looking for. It will make a complete cloned copy of your hard drive onto a separate disk, which can be a USB drive. And then uh, you can boot back into Clonezilla from a Clonezilla Live DVD or Live CD or Live USB 
stick, a thumb drive, and uh, from that thumb drive you just uh, restore the image back to the original hard drive and you're off and sailing. So there are plenty more options in Clonezilla than that, but to answer your question, that will be what you're looking for, is a complete clone. And that's exactly what those uh, instructions on our article give you. So Rajesh, good luck and uh, let us know how that goes. Gomez has a comment about reinstalling packages, and installing packages for that matter, from a list. Hi Larry and Bill. In episode 249, you replied to Vic's question about updating and installing packages from a list. I would disagree with some of what you said. There are good reasons for not using DPKG to get a list of all your packages. You correctly noted that a packages version is not saved by the DPKG command. However, there are major packages that are named with the major version number in the package name. When these versions are changed, you're going to run into problems, such as non-existing packages or conflicts. Also, many programs have multiple configuration implementations available in the repositories that share a generic command. If a distribution changes its preferred or supported implementation, you could find yourself wrestling with trying to replace the preferred implementation with an older, abandoned one. Thirdly, you would very likely be installing dozens or even hundreds of unnecessary packages. Not only must these be downloaded and installed, they must also be kept updated even though you aren't using them. Apt makes a distinction between packages that are installed manually and those that are installed automatically to satisfy some dependency. If you just use dpkg-get-selections, you'll get a list that contains all the installed packages, and the list will even contain packages you've deinstalled, that is to say, removed without purging their configuration files. If we're going to use a simplistic command line hack, then at the very least we should not be abusing the package management system so blatantly. Instead, consider this command to generate a list of manually installed packages apt-mark space show manual space greater than sign space my-packages.txt you can install those packages later by using this command sudo space apt-get space install space dollar sign open parenthesis cat space my-packages.txt close parenthesis now still that's not ideal if you're changing versions, you may still run into issues where packages names were changed, but it's certainly better than having 2,000 to 3,000 manually installed packages on your new installation. You'll notice that the generated file still contains a lot more packages than you actually personally installed, but it's going to be a fraction of the DPKG list. I simply cherry pick out of that show manual list what I actually need but your suggestion of just installing as needed is also good. At least, a generated list may help you to remember the package names when you want to install them. Finally, in your reply to Vic, you seem to be conflating version holding with manual package selection, but they're very different. To check if you have any packages manually held at a particular version, run apt-mark space show hold. If you get no output, then no packages are being held at their current versions. Hope that helps, Gomez. Well, Gomez, you make some very, very good points. And some of those points that you mention are 
the very reasons why these days, rather than use the command line DPKG for doing this sort of thing, even though in Mint 17 they fixed some of the issues uh, around uh, versioning and so on, um, or at least that's what I've read, we're recommending, especially for Mint users, that you use the Mint backup tool. It allows you to make the backups quite easily, and then from the backup tool, once you've installed the new version, you can select the packages that you want to install graphically from the list. And that's going to be easier, especially for new users. Uh, the DPKG command is certainly usable with the cautions that you've noted and the identified issues with DPKG that you've noted uh, by more advanced users. And as I said, I think in either that episode 249 or the Computer America episode that followed, uh, I really don't do my backups and installs that way. I actually use rsync to backup my home folder and then just reinstall the applications from scratch after a fresh install as I need them. And as you noted in your email, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, not necessarily the rsync part of it, but install the applications as you need them. That way you're not installing applications on your fresh install just because you had them on the old one, because maybe you're not using that anymore. And why should you install that and take up the space on your hard drive for an application you don't need? Certainly it's easy enough to uninstall it, I guess, but uh, in my view, it's better not to install it in the first place. Okay, so we have a uh, gone Linux story from Walter, who's become Microsoft-less. And this one we actually read in the last Computer America episode, but for those of you who don't listen to those episodes for various reasons, here it is again. After being a Microsoft user since the day it first started, KPro CPM being my last personal major operating system, I have repartitioned and reformatted the last of it and gone completely Ubuntu 14.04. I had been using Ubuntu on and off for about three years. Actually, it all really started with the PC, the one I'm using for this email. This PC is eight years old, had XP on it, and of course was going out of operation because Microsoft was not supporting it anymore. I loaded Ubuntu and just started using it. This PC ran the fastest it ever did. I just loved it. Well, needless to say, I started using it more than the new one with Windows 7 on it. Well, without much more to say, I took the final plunge. I reformatted and reloaded the new PC with Ubuntu now happily residing on its hard drive. I now have four PCs running Linux. There were a few things that I thought I could never do without Microsoft over, but I have found alternative ways around all of that. Perhaps not as automatic or as fancy looking, but nonetheless fully functional. And I can work with that. Thank you, Going Linux. If it had not been for the hours and hours of listening to your shows, I may not have had the confidence to go fully Linux. I can now truly say there is no Microsoft running under my roof, and I love it. I never thought the day would come, but I am very glad it did. Thank you, Walter. Well, you're welcome, Walter. and. You're welcome everyone else who's been able to go Microsoftless in their personal lives at least. Many of us can't do that from a business perspective because our companies provide us with computers or provide us with software to use that's from 
the Redmond-based company, but um, wherever we can, certainly in our personal lives, we can make that choice, and it looks like Walter has. So good luck, Walter, and let us know how that continues to go for you, and especially if you have questions as you continue your Linux journey. Linux in the Wild is another segment we like to get your feedback for, and so Greg has spotted Linux in the Wild. He writes, I like to hear your segment about Linux in the Wild. It's pretty interesting to see where Linux pops up. I went over to the self-serve cafeteria at work to grab a fancy coffee the other day. The coffee machine is one of those high-tech gizmos that grinds the beans for each order. You can also get all the various fancy coffee drinks like vanilla latte. This machine is often out of order, usually because they don't fill it often enough. This time it was stuck on a BIOS screen where it was checking the interfaces. I decided to power cycle it. I pulled the plug and plugged it back in. It got past scanning the interfaces and started booting up. Lo and behold, I see what looked like to be Linux scrolling by. I took a closer look and this coffee maker is running slacks. Pretty cool. Greg. Thanks, Greg. We really enjoy those kinds of uh, stories as well. So keep those coming, folks. All right. And I have a software pick for you this time. Uh, I ran across this application because of a post Nightwise made on LinkedIn about SysAdmin Day. At least I think it was for SysAdmin Day which was fairly recently as we record this, Adam Fowler was doing a talk about a year ago, and Adam mentioned YED as an alternative to Microsoft Visio. I have to say that I've been using YED for a little while now, and it is fabulous. It um, works a little bit differently than Visio if you've ever used it. And by the way, both of these programs are programs for making diagrams, flow diagrams, uh, causal diagrams, network diagrams, those kinds of things. And they both come with different grouped sets of objects. Uh, and those groups in Visio are called templates. The groups in YED are called palettes, but they're essentially the same thing. And they have different shapes and different arrows and different grouping type uh, objects that you can use to make your flow diagrams. And I have to say that there are some features of YED that I wish uh, in my business life Microsoft Visio had had. And I'm thinking that since my new company doesn't uh, require Visio for a lot of what it does, uh, and in fact doesn't provide Visio out of the box on the computer they provided me, I think I'm going to be using YED for all my diagrams, even for work. So um, uh, it is a free application. Um, it is not open source, I don't think, but it uh, runs a couple of other things you need to, to know is it, it requires Java. Uh, and when you install it from their website, uh, it, they provide what you need. But it is cross-platform. It runs on Linux, Windows, and Mac OS X and uh, it, it uses Java for what it does. There are libraries as well if you want to include them in an HTML5 based website or various other things including I think Silverlight and other things that I think most of our audience here wouldn't be using. But anyway, uh, YED is definitely something for personal use if you do need to do diagrams and so on that is an alternative to 
uh, Microsoft Visio and is definitely better than anything else that I've recommended in the past. So uh, keep that in mind as you move forward. If you need to do diagrams, YED is the program you might want to check out. Okay, our next uh, episode will be a user experience episode. Uh, Bill's been working on a distribution review. He's been having some problems with that particular episode. Uh, he's lost the recording a couple of times, once at least due to a lightning strike on his computer. And yes, he lost some other electronic components in his house as well. So he's definitely not been doing too well in that regard. So he's had to record it at least twice, maybe even three times. And his intent was to do the recording and the editing and all of that all by himself. Uh, and this has not been a good experience for him. So let's wish him well, and hopefully he'll be able to get his uh, electronic stack back up and running and be able to complete this for us. If not, we'll have something else in the way of a user experience episode. And until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com to look at our articles and show notes, as well as to get links to download and to subscribe to our podcast. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.